they say the best weapon is one you never have to fire. I respectfully disagree. I prefer the weapon you only have to fire once. That's how dad did it. That's how America does it. And it's worked out pretty well so far. Popheads and welcome to issue 96 of the TomCast Popcast coming to you from the Tom Cave. My name is Tom. Thank you for listening to this quality independent podcast. Please follow our social media at TomCast Popcast on Twitter and on Instagram. You can email the show TomCastPopcast at gmail.com. You can head on over to Patreon.com forward slash TomCast Popcast to become an official member of Pophead Nation where you may be able to get access to all kinds of super cool bonus content. It just depends on what tier you select. But we have all kinds of great video content over there. We have some audio content as well, commentary tracks for movies. Uh, the, the video content is podcast reads, by the way. So I'm reading comic books and graphic novels, and I'm sharing them with you guys and giving them recommendations. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I, I hope I'm giving people a lot of good value for their content over there. Thank you to my current Patreons. Thank you to the Aspinel Chody, the Batman at Bay Park, Mr. Jeff Nail. Jeff is the co-host of the Ringing Ear podcast, a fantastic music podcast that I highly recommend. Thanks again to Evil Circle, the evilest of all circles. And please welcome back to Pophead Nation, the Squidmaster General, Mr. Brian Broussard. Finally, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever it is that you're listening to podcasts from. And please like, subscribe, and share to the show. And if you have the time, give us a five-star review. Let the people know that we're doing good stuff over here. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, today we're here to talk about 2008's Iron Man. Starring Robert Downey Jr., Jeff Bridges, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Terrence Howard. Uh, movie famously directed by John Favreau. And, uh, you know, John's done a couple things recently to note in pop culture. You know, we might have mentioned his name a few times on, the, on this show in the past. Uh, but we're going to explore his initial take on Iron Man. And uh, this movie was a, a... I'd say it was a mega hit that not only announced Marvel Studios as a major force in Hollywood, but it also kicked off the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, Iron Man, the first Iron Man movie, was became the spine, the strong backbone of that Marvel Cinematic Universe. If this movie uh, is not so good and so strong and, and so well thought out, uh, it wouldn't be able to support the 20-plus pictures that have come in its wake. And and uh, so much credit goes to, to Robert Downey Jr. and John Favreau and obviously Kevin Feige as, as sort of a creative vision for, for this entire project overall. Uh, joining me today, excuse me, joining me today to discuss the movie will be a new voice to many listeners. I'm being joined by Mr. Ken Garten, who is also known by his handle on Twitter and Instagram at at Red the Trucker. Uh, I asked Ken to join me because uh, via his his Twitter, I know what a big fan of Iron Man he is. Ken's also a big part of Padres Twitter, so if you're a baseball fan, Ken's Kendrick kind of guy. Uh, he's a he's a really positive person. He's really uh, upbeat, and I, I I love and respect that about Ken so very very much. So. I, uh, I felt like he was going to be a good voice to have on the show because uh, he's going to bring a real good positive energy to the show, and we love that. We love positive energy, uh, especially in, in you know all the stuff going on in real life. We need some positivity. We need to stay up, and uh, I think Ken's going to be really fantastic. So I thought it'd be cool to have a really good chat with him. Uh, we haven't talked. He and I have not talked much in the real lives, so this will be a lot of fun for us. And as you can tell by his handle, Red the Trucker, 
Uh, he's, Ken's also a big Simpsons fan, so I mean, he's three for three on things that we like on this podcast: baseball, comic books, comic movies, Simpsons. I mean, Ken's the total package. This is gonna be a fun time, I think. So, sit down, buckle up. We're here to talk about 2008's Iron Man. Here we go. I'll be throwing one of these in with every purchase of 500 million or more. To peace. All right, joining me on the line, we have Mr. Ken Garten, aka Red the Trucker. Twitter and Instagram, big member of Padres Twitter, like I said, also obviously a Simpsons fan, and a huge, huge Iron Man fan. How about that? <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Tom. Of course, my pleasure, man. I'm glad you're here. Uh, I, I got to hear you listen. On, I got to listen to you on um, Craig Elston's podcast on uh, Crossing the Streams, and you guys were talking about Star Wars, and I was like, Ken is a great guy on a podcast. I should get him on here for Iron Man. <laughs> Well, yeah, I definitely have uh, all the nerd checkboxes uh, checked. Uh, big comic book fan. Uh, probably started reading in the you know mid '80s or so. Um, I was definitely a big uh, Spider-Man, X-Men, and Iron Man fan. Um, probably about the time that I picked Iron Man up, uh, Tony Stark was in his uh, alcoholic descent. Yes, um, they had switched to the uh, Silver Centurion uh, armor, oh, and Rhodey was in the. Yeah, so I that's kind of where I kind of picked up Iron Man, so that's kind of where my mind kind of goes to when I, I think about uh, Iron Man and seeing the uh, film adaptation, it, it makes me, like, it gives me those kind of, like, feels. So uh, um, I also have been a, an attendee of Comic-Con for many years. I'm very sad that there will not be a usual Hall H, you know, kind of presentation. Um but I actually did was at the very first Marvel Studios Paramount uh, panel for Iron Man when uh, wow. John Favreau came out and uh, and introduced you know the, the film and uh, showed some of the first clips and everything else like that and it was just an amazing experience to see that building and how it became you know the phenomenon that it ultimately became. Well, that is really really awesome. So like, I mean, you've been there pretty much since, since the ground floor. I mean. I, I uh, always have loved going to Comic-Con and, and, you know, it was, it was one of those things, the things I love most about movies. Mm -hmm. And so being able to see, you know, filmmakers bringing their, you know, uh, you know, pre-production, you know, stuff and kind of giving you that little taste of what's to come. Uh, because again, comic book movies, you know, up until, you know, the MCU had been a little bit hit and miss, you know, there's been a lot of uh, poor adaptations of, of films, you know, and, and, and it was nice to kind of see that, John Faber had a vision and that he really wanted something and it was going to be something, a part of something even bigger, but we just didn't know how big it would ultimately get. Yeah. It was, it was definitely an interesting time. You know, 2008, uh, the X-Men franchise and the Spider-Man franchise were kind of petering out at that point. They were both in the midst of like awful third films and you know, there was a, Iron Man had some risk to it. You know, like Favreau was still relatively unknown for being able to handle a big budget movie. And obviously, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s past history had kind of made him a bit of a risk as well. So Absolutely. He was he was one of those actors that had kind of disappeared a little bit because mm -hmm. he had been such a difficult person to work with, had his own demons that he had been battling and everything else like that. So it was kind of nice to see that um, they were willing to give it a chance because they knew that this person was going to be the linchpin. This was going to be the character that they were building the entire cinematic universe around yeah it i i don't know if you i don't know if you remember these rumors um i mean i remember reading these in the back of like wizard magazine like the late 90s early 2000s 
that they, they wanted Tom Cruise for Iron Man for the longest time. I don't know how that would have played. I, uh, I'm i not the huge Tom Cruise fan, and I'm not saying he couldn't do it, but I feel like Robert Downey Jr. just embodied Tony Stark. And when I picture Tony Stark now, I picture... Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, it's almost impossible not to. I mean, he just he just owned the role from the moment he got on on camera. I mean, he was just fascinating to watch. And he, I mean, he elevated Tony Stark in a way that I didn't think was possible. Um, I wasn't the biggest Iron Man fan when I was growing up in the comics. Uh, I kind of that era that you talked about when you first got into Iron Man. I went back to find that era because uh, he was Iron Man's popularity was a little eh at the time. They were doing some weird stuff with him when I was getting, when I was in the comic books. Like they they and I, they were about to turn him into a teenager, in a whole con- the convoluted Kang storyline. And it was Tony was in a bad place in the comics for a while. <laughs> so I, I I got my Iron Man love late, but uh, going back and rediscovering like the David Michelani and the the Bob Layton stuff in particular was always fascinating. Those are insanely good comic book runs. That I can't recommend highly enough. And actually, I'm kind of glad in Iron Man in particular, and actually over the course of all three films, they actually didn't go down the road to do Demon in a Bottle. I was really kind of relieved that they didn't do that. It would be very hard, obviously, once Disney acquired Marvel and, and all that, it'd be really hard for them to kind of play that. It would have been interesting to see a, maybe a darker side of Tony. I just don't think that the MCU had that time and that weight uh, to really... like They, they kind of tried to play it a little bit in Iron Man 2 and 3, but yeah. plays, you know, the first Iron Man, you just got to introduce him as just the kind of millionaire, playboy, industrialist, you know, innovator, that, and, and kind of go from there and kind of put the flaws in later and later mm-hmm. in the film. Yeah, we, we did get drunk Iron Man DJ in Iron Man 2. Um, <laughs> but that was about as far as they went with it. Uh, yeah. th- this movie, Iron Man 1 in particular, is such a wonderful origin story i mean it's able to take tony's origin from the comics you know from the late 60s that stan lee wrote way back when when it was the vietnam war and they 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 very seamlessly blended it to modern day times you know with the war in the middle east and things like that and tony as as you know a war profiteer basically yeah um i i guess i've just always been so impressed with the way they were able to you know sometimes like i guess my, my best example of this sorry i'm kind of stumbling a little bit but the punisher's origin's always been a little tricky to to put in modern times somehow iron man's and maybe it's because of of robert downey and because of john favreau it just really worked the way they modernized it and and, and just kind of refined it for for a modern audience absolutely i love that they kind of just put you right into the middle of it at the very beginning with tony and the humvee you know drinking the scotch you know and kind of brought, brought you right into that moment and so um it's hard because again you know it is like you said it's based on a character from the 60s and how do you kind of modernize it without making it feel cheapened? Mm-hmm. And I think they kind of nailed that tone really early on that, you know, he's kind of glib. He's kind of, you know, smarmy a little bit, but you like him because again, he, he's all that in spite of, you know, those things. A hundred percent. So here's the point in the podcast where I have to ask you the, the million dollar question. What beer are you drinking? Oh, <laughs> most importantly, uh, I am drinking a virgin Carlsbad Crush, Ooh, which is probably one of my favorite beers. Uh, I love mosaic hopped anything, mm-hmm. and a mosaic pale about five percent, especially with the warm weather that we've been experiencing lately. There's just nothing like being able to have 
multiple ones without having to like, oh, well, I just, you know, killed a double IPA and I'm, I'm probably, probably pretty much done for the day. I can easily knock out a four pack, you know, over the course of an evening with some food and everything else like that. And uh, there's just something uh, about Bergen and, and Mosaic. They just really got that down. Right on, man. I agree with you 100%. That beer is rad. Uh, I'm, I went a little bigger off the bat. I, ooh, excuse me. I have a can of uh, El Segundo's No Comply West Coast IPA. Nice. Yeah, I just figured. I just reached, First thing I reached in for the fridge and grabbed. <laughs> El Segundo makes great West Coast IPAs. I, I love their, their beers. I used to travel a little bit to L.A. for work, and um, their tasting room was awesome. Everybody there was so nice. Such a cool uh, opportunity to be able to check that those guys out. They're making great beer, and yeah. I love that we were getting some distribution down here. So, and uh, well, I, we had a mutual friend working there for a while, and uh, Mr. Mike Beebe. That's right. Yeah, Beebe was there for a Who, bit. Uh, I, I, uh, I loaned him quite a few of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies so that he could get caught up with his girlfriend at the time. Nice. So they could watch all the you know once uh, Avengers came out, so they kind of have a little bit of chance to kind of catch up. Yeah, the the only time I've been up to El Segundo, uh, it was for the initial release of the Stone Cold Steve Austin beer. Oh, nice! <laughs> so yeah, I got to go meet Stone Cold and get my picture taken and, and chat with him just a little, like very briefly. But it was it was fun. It was a cool place. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think I think they even have like a little pizza joint next door now. Which ooh, that sounds good. Uh, no beer and pizza, man. Kind of hard to beat those. Kind of hard to beat that. All right, but let's get back to Iron Man. Uh, yes, I think absolutely. I think you said it best. Uh, the way the film opens, and then it kind of goes back, like whatever it is, 24, 36 hours. Uh, a great way to throw the audience, particularly non-comic book fans, uh, sort of into the deep end and, and be like, okay, here's what's happening, and it's it's action from the get-go, basically. I mean, you're in the Humvee, or the Fun V, as it's called, and <laughs> <laughs> everything goes wrong really, really quickly. <laughs> and you're like, oh, wow, okay, uh, this guy's about to die on screen. What's happening now? And... Very evocative imagery, too, because, I mean, obviously, 2008, we're, we're still dealing with a lot of fallout from what's going on in the Middle East. Like, we're used to seeing the videos of beheadings, and you, you see that backdrop, and, and Tony in the chair, and, and the guys with the masks, and it's like, oh, my God, this is, like, ripped out of CNN. Uh, it grabs you by the throat. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely um, grabs you instantly into that world, and you're, but it feels very real at the same time mm -hmm. so it doesn't feel like a comic book um it, yeah. it definitely has a realism that say you know some of the you know x-men films you know has you know kind of a hyper realism whereas um you know it very much feels like this is kind of a, a military operation gone horribly horribly wrong uh tony stark is you know is captured he's you know potentially going to die um and he's trapped in this cave you know and and i i, I think the way they kind of set that up um, kind of brings out that whole, like basically kind of sets up his arc as, as a character, not in just this film, but like in the rest of the films, how he grows as a person. Mm -hmm. Oh, agreed. Uh, I mean, even just within the context of the film, the way he, where he starts to where he ends is, is wonderful to watch the, the way that he, he grows and changes. And, but the way he, he feels everything too, like seeing, what he's done with his life's work and how it's ruined lives and destroyed people and, and how that kind of affects him and the inner turmoil that he goes through. It's just, just wonderful. And, and Robert Downey just just kills it on so many different levels. You know, like little conversations with Pepper and, and even when he's talking with uh, 
uh, Jeff Bridges' character. You know, like you can just kind of see like the remorse and like, the, hey, we have to change, we have to do better, we have to be better. And I don't know, it it just I don't know, there's such an earnestness to it that was. I don't know. It just it just captured my attention and obviously a lot of other people's as well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, when you see that it's a Stark Industries bomb that goes off, yeah, and just see that moment of like realization, like, oh, fuck, that's me. Yeah, 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 yeah. A hundred, yeah. Oh, I couldn't agree more, man. And yeah. uh, I guess we should talk about the other cast. I mentioned Jeff Bridges. Uh, what do you think of him as as the Ironmonger, basically, as as uh, as Obadiah Stane? Yeah. Um. I love Jeff Bridges unabashedly. He's not the best MCU villain. He's not the worst MCU villain. He's a little bit kind of one note-ish. Yeah. Um, and I think that's more about the way the character is written than Jeff Bridges, you know, performance by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, it's just, it's, it's one of those things where somebody has got to be the bad guy and it's him. Yep. I kind of agree with you on that. I, I, I am also a big Jeff Bridges fan and I, I, I love the kind of menace that he brings to it. Like, like sometimes you see him give a look and you're like, Ooh, he looks like a total badass. Uh, but yeah, this is more about Tony's journey. So the, the villain kind of gets undersold a little bit, which is, it's okay. It works out just fine. Um, which is a common criticism of a lot of MCU films, to be honest particularly early but... ones. Yeah. I mean, other yeah. than, other than Loki, there was a real villain problem in the MCU yeah. for a while. Uh, I think if, if I were to critique this film in a negative way, which, uh, more, you know, pretty much everything in this film is positive, the, that would be the negative. Uh, and then the, the other negative would be like, really, Tony couldn't figure out that he was the bad guy? <laughs> <laughs> Smartest guy in the world. Couldn't see those right underneath his nose. It's right? like, wait, the bad guys are still getting the, the weapons, even though you said not to. So wait, who, what's, what's really going on here? <laughs> but the, oh, that's, again, the only negative, and that's a super big nitpick. Exactly, yeah. When you're on the roller coaster... You're not thinking about, oh, well, remember that third drop that we did? It could have been like a little bit closer. It was it worked for the context of the film. Um, you know, again, uh, Tony's got a lot of distractions. So I, I kind of gave it that kind of like credence of like, you know, he wasn't quite on his A game because, you know, he just got back from, you know, being in a cave and, you know, <laughs> a little distracted, a little distracted. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of, of Gwyneth Paltrow as Pepper Potts? So. I've gone from wasn't a huge fan of her in the first film to mm -hmm. absolutely loving how fleshed out her character got because she kind of was, again, a little bit one note, kind of a, you know, kind of the bitchy, um, you know, love interest, but kind of pushing him away always. Um, and I really liked how she grew and her character grew even though she forgot that she was in movies that she was in. So. <laughs> you, you saw that too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was but pretty hilarious. Again, I, yeah. Yeah. I do. I, I do ultimately like her. Like I've liked her more on repeat viewings. Gwen Paltrow not my favorite actress in the world, uh, but I thought she was fine. Um, I, and again, I like how her character kind of developed more and kind of, you know, I felt like, like it earned, uh, her last scene, you know, in, in Endgame and everything else like that. Yeah, I think I totally agree with you. I think she's kind of gotten unfairly uh, uh, a shat on in later films. But I, th I think, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I think the arc of the character overall has been really solid. Uh, and, and, again, it's so funny how sometimes comic book fans can be really just, like, anal about certain things. But when it came to Pepper Potts, everyone was, like, really casual about it. And I was like... Because, I mean, obviously, in the comic books, she has a relationship with Happy, not with Tony. Right. And it's like, 
oh, no one's really saying anything about that. That's, that's kind of funny how comic book fans can overlook things when they like something. Exactly. And I do like that Happy kind of, um, you know, kind of has also become a bigger character than he was in the first film. You know, because yeah. again, he was just the chauffeur in the, in the first one and kind of was kind of just in the shadows. And now he's very much part of Stark Industries and whatever that future of Stark Industries is going to be. Yeah, you know, and I don't want to go too much off the track for Iron Man One, but but when it was first re being reported that that Favreau wasn't going to direct Iron Man Three, and it seemed like he was kind of stepping back from Marvel for a second, I was like, oh, that sounds like a really bad idea. Uh, but I'm really glad, like whatever they worked out, they worked out, and he he's still very integral to what Marvel's doing because I think Favreau has proven himself to be quite a visionary. Uh, you know, obviously the Mandalorian is the most recent proof of that, but my God, that guy's had a vision since two thousand. Probably prior to two thousand eight, with with this stuff, I mean, he just seems to really understand it and get, understand it in a way that he can make the fans appreciate it too. For sure, yeah. No, again, I've always been a fan of his. I I, I dressed in forties clothes and did swing dancing because of swingers. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie, I, uh, I absolutely love uh, some of his his earlier work. But again, this was a little bit of a risk because he wasn't an action guy. He wasn't a oh yeah, let's give this guy you know, $100 million to make an action movie, you know, with Robert Downey Jr. Like, that doesn't seem like it's a, a would be a real thing. Yeah. Uh, but I think that his, I like that he put himself in the film so that he kind of gave himself a part so that he could always kind of at least be able to touch it a little bit. Like, hey, I'm over here. Yeah. Yeah, I agree 100%. Uh, I, I've enjoyed Favreau as an actor. I enjoy his films as a director. Uh, he's kind of, he's kind of proven himself to be like just a, a Jack of all trades. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah very versatile. Uh, Terrence Howard. We have to talk about Terrence Howard. Yeah. Because I love Rhodey from the comics. I was a big War Machine Rhodey fan. Um, sure. Terrence Howard, I don't think he's bad necessarily. And I was still keyed up for the idea of War Machine in the second film. I was like, okay, they, they kind of foreshadowed this a little bit. Let's see what's going to happen. What, what did you think of Terrence? Um... I just felt like he was kind of not given a whole lot to do either. Mm -hmm. um, and he was hot again, on the Academy Award. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it was one of those things where um, I kind of feel like there was that scene when he basically goes, next time. Right. And man, that movie would have turned on a dime if they had basically both teamed up like they do in Iron Man 2. Right, right. Um, I would have been very interested to see what that would have looked like and would there still be the same skirmishes about money and everything else like that? Because I think he's a great actor. Um, but now that Don Cheadle has kind of taken over the role, I can't imagine anybody else in it. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I thought the same thing. I, I, I like Terrence Howard a lot as an actor. And I, I think he would have been a, a perfectly fine roadie if he got to stay in the role. But, I mean, how can you, how can you think that Don Cheadle's any worse than he would have been? I mean, Don Cheadle's pretty great. <laughs> Amazing. I love his work. Yeah, Cheadle... Uh, you know, I, I guess I have to consider it a step up because I love, I love Cheadle so much. But Darren's Howard is not a detriment to the film by any means. Like you said, I, don't, I, don't, I agree. I don't think he had much to do. But again, this, is, this was Tony's story, and it, as it probably should have been. Yeah. So let me ask you, this is kind of a weird question. Because uh, when I was introducing the film before we got on together, uh, there's about four writers listed on the, for the screenplay. But I think we all famously know that 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 Robert Downey Jr. and and John Favreau basically rewrote it on the fly as they were filming. I think that's such a unique thing, and and lends to like this just kind of like wonderful, miraculous thing how it all came together. 
it's like, oh yeah, the, there's a there's kind of like bullet points to hit, but how we get there, John John and, and Robert Downey were like, no, no, let's do this and let's say this and let's do it this way. Very unique recipe for this movie to work. Absolutely no. Um, again, I, I'm sure there were multiple drafts. You know, ones that you know were probably written for Tom Cruise and you know maybe you know whatever other actors were. That's exactly that right. You know, and so it's one of those things like, well, okay, what was what was the element that we really want to get out of this? What is the ones that will play to Robert Downey Jr.'s strengths? You know, because um, again, I think of uh, I don't think of Tom Cruise the same way that I think of Robert Downey Jr. as an actor, and they're both very fantastic Oscar-winning actors or nominated actors, but. Like as far as like actual, like when I close my eyes and think of what Tony Stark looks like, I picture more of Robert Downey Jr. Not just because I've seen him in so many films now, but because of like the way his face is and right. the goatee and everything else like that. I don't see Tom Cruise with facial hair. For some <laughs> no, reason. no, you don't. I close my eyes. I think of him more of like a clean cut, you know. And again, Tony's had multiple versions of, of facial hair throughout the but like when I think about Robbie Downey Jr., I definitely now picture him with facial hair and as Tony Stark. Well that 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 as a, actually a great segue because it leads into like yeah. the next thing I was gonna bring up, which is, you know, going back to the Tom Cruise rumors, I mean when I first heard those, I was like, well this isn't gonna work because it's gonna be just like it made me think of Sylvester Stallone as Judge Dredd back in the nineties, where it's like yeah. he's not you know, Stallone wasn't gonna wear the helmet the entire movie and Tom Cruise isn't going to wear the Iron Man helmet the entire movie. And that really bummed me out. Um, but the innovation that, that Favreau brought to the film, where you go inside the helmet and you get the heads-up display, I think it's so brilliant. I mean, nowadays we see it as, as very commonplace. Uh, but I think at the time, like they were the first person to really kind of do that. And it was such a great way to get Robert Downey on screen when he's in the suit, but you actually see his face. Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of felt like a comic book. Yeah. you know where you kind of like saw inside and tony's thinking and like seeing all the displays and you know which rocket am i going to launch now and everything else like that yeah it was a great way to keep robert downey jr's face there but also um felt real like it didn't feel like it was just like uh hey i need my close-up you know because uh, i haven't you know had a i haven't had any face time for you know three minutes or something like that yeah, so. exactly yeah i agree i i, I you know watching the movie i, I watched it again Probably for the fiftieth thousandth time uh, you know, before before we did the show, and I, I just was yeah. still, I was like, I'm still blown away by that. I'm like, that's so smart, that's so savvy, um, and it solves so many problems at the same time. As far as like getting your actor, you don't have to have them all suited up and that stuff all the time. And you know, I, I would imagine being Iron Man's not comfortable. <laughs> Absolutely no, and it's great because you also get reaction shots because again, the mask is very emotionless and very mm -hmm. flat, and so you're getting like his eyes widening, you know his you know, his, you know, smile, you know, kind of, you know, purse the smile a little bit, you know, just kind of being able to kind of uh, see his reactions inside the suit is yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, it, it, it made me think because, you know, a, a few shows ago, we, we ranked the Spider-Man films. And I talked about like, one of my big complaints about the first Raimi Spider-Man is I can't see Norman Osborn's face. And you have Willem Dafoe, who's like this amazingly expressive actor. But it's just a, it's just a blank sheet in front of you with that with that helmet on. And it's like, wow, man, if they had gone inside the Goblin helmet to show us what, yeah. what he looked like, that might have been just taking it to the next level for them. But, yeah, it took Favreau to figure that one out. Absolutely, no. And I, I think it added a lot, again, 
um, I, I feel like there are a lot of choices um, that John Favreau clearly made because uh, you could tell that he loved the character, um, especially going back to the Comic Con panel where he, you know, first kind of teased the audience. Well, here's your first look at you know the uh, at the Iron Man footage, and then you know put put some of the '70s you know cartoon out just to kind of like throw everybody over a little bit. And then when you see the actual Iron Man costume and the CGI and how like next level it was at the time, I obviously, you know, this is 12 years ago now, right. But seeing like how just crystal clear and like smooth and everything else was, and, and felt like you're going from seeing the ar- armor, you know, and, you know, Tony getting into it to then the CGI, like it definitely felt very seamless and never felt like you're like, Oh yeah, you're just where he like ducks behind a corner. And then suddenly like the CGI starts, you know, for like a cut screen for two minutes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, man. And I I love that they used um, the, the, the Adi Granoff art as kind of like the, the inspiration because uh, Adi brought this kind of just this, this like hyper realism. Like if there was an Iron Man in the world, it would be like this, you know? And as much as I love those, those Bob Layton uh, Iron Man's from the eighties, once I went back and rediscovered them, like what Adi did and, and the way they were able to bring that to life in the films, it's so wonderful to look at. I love seeing that suit on screen. And especially in this first film, the evolution of the suits. Yeah. You know, as we go. And and you know, by the time we get to Iron Man Three, we understand that I Tony's got a real fixation with suits. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean just seeing like the like the mark the Mark One, the Mark Two, the Mark Three, you know, as it progresses in the in the film to the final product. How was that first moment for you as a big time Iron Man fan? of seeing the suit punch through the door in the cave, they, oh, you know, that, that Mark one suit. Yeah. Again, it was one of those things where, again, that suit is obviously legend, but w- happened before I was, you know, really aware of like, you know, comic books and everything else like that. But I remember getting like, you know, the Marvel legends action figures came with like, Oh yeah. You know, like old reprints of comics and like reading them. I'm like just devouring some of them. And so it was really cool to like, be able to see that on screen, you know, again, it was kind of like, you know, seeing, you know, Wolverine unleash his claws, you know, or, you know, Spider-Man swing through New York, you know, those kind of like moments. Again, Iron Man doesn't have the same popularity that, you know, the X-Men and, and um, Spider-Man have, but has been around, you know, as long or longer, you know, than, than a lot of these characters. And to see that on screen just gives you chills. I mean, it's just, again, it's like, wow, this is, this is a moment that felt very much like from the comics that you kind of like were waiting to see because you knew it was coming because you saw the, what he was building. And when it finally happens, it's pretty phenomenal. It, it is pretty phenomenal. Yeah. I agree hundred percent. I love the way they incorporated uh, just cuts of that scene in, in like the teaser trailers for it. Uh, because I, I was, I was optimistic, but I was also cautiously optimistic about this film when it was coming out in 2008. I was like, man, I really want this to be good. But there, there was, I guess I had kind of bought into the, the, the risk factors involved. Like, oh, it seems like a lot of unknowns. Who, who you know, maybe this won't pan out. Um, but when you see that trailer and you just hear, the, like, the thumps on the on the wall and the soldiers coming in to investigate, you're like, oh, this is going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> this absolutely. is going to be good. And it's, it's magnificent to see it unfold on the screen. Absolutely. Now, uh, so I remember going to see um, – so going back a little bit in history, I – love seeing movies like the very first day or yeah. the very first showing that I can. Um, I used to do the midnight shows. Thank God Marvel started doing the seven o'clock shows. And, <laughs> I agree. And I, because again, I feel like I appreciate them a lot more when I'm not like trying to fight like 
staying awake and everything else like that. Not that the movies are boring, but again, it's, you know, after a long day at work and waiting in line and everything else like that. So um, I think that Iron Man was the first time I saw uh, a Marvel film at a decent seven o'clock on a Thursday night hour. And I just remember like the theater was probably three quarters full because uh, Iron Man just wasn't the draw at the time. He was just like, oh, they're going to do another comic book movie. Uh, uh, kind of over the Spider-Man's and the X-Men's, you know, this is kind of a C-level character. Some people called it. Um, again, it kind of just depends on, on who you ask, you know, but I always thought Iron Man was very important, you know, as far as the Avengers and everything else like that. So, uh, I remember the, going there three quarters full, um, people walking out at the end of the credits and, uh, not knowing <laughs> they didn't know going to be coming, uh, I'm sure they've learned their lessons now. It's, uh, but again, it was one of those things. Like, uh, I, I saw the potential for more films. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, the sequels to say Batman, you know, not before the before the you know uh, Nolan films, but uh, sometimes it felt that like they were kind of just kind of trying to make uh, money, and and there didn't feel like there was a lot of. Uh, world building or, or character development. It was just kind of like, Hey, we got to sell some more, uh, happy meal toys and, you know, and everything else like that. Whereas, uh, they definitely laid groundwork for, uh, sequels to Iron Man. But then obviously at the end, the, the, you know, the, the tease for, you know, building the Avengers initiative. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's funny. It's, it's also Iron Man one's also a movie with, you know, it's not a lot of obvious, like heavy handed Easter eggs, you know, there's the one scene where you kind of like see like the 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 cap shield on the, on the table, but but they kind of explain that away later on. Once you know, they're like, oh well, we're doing something a little bit different. But yeah, yeah, Tony just had like a, a mock up kind of thing. But it, you know, it, <laughs> they they weren't like overt about it. It wasn't until that Samuel yeah. scene, the, Sam, the Samuel Jackson scene, where you're like, oh, they are gonna do yeah. it. Yeah. No. And again, there's even some little things like you know the ten rings. You kind of get a little taste of that, mm-hmm. or you know they kind of set that up. Uh, for three, but then also it sounds like they're going to actually have an actual ten rings, um, and so again, I I I love there's a lot of little touches in the film um, that kind of got me as a pretty pretty big comic book fan excited for future films. Yeah, I, uh, I it, it it's such a. St- it, it's such a strong backbone for the entire cinematic universe. I mean, I, it's it's crazy to think that if this film didn't succeed the way that it did, that we wouldn't have 20-plus amazing comic book movies to watch. And, I mean, not all of them are Grand Slam home runs, but they're they're still watchable. Yeah. I mean, like even the worst Thor movies, like, watchable. Exactly. Um, so I have this whole interesting theory, because in ah. the three months, 2008, you had Iron Man come out in May. You had The Incredible Hulk come out in June. And then you had The Dark Knight come out in July. Ooh. So three months of comic book movies. And I would argue that if Incredible Hulk had come out before Iron Man, it might have been that bump in the road. Like, it would probably failure to launch kind of thing that may have, like, got got the film off track a little bit. Yeah. Because, again, I know you're going to talk about it in a future podcast. And God bless that 
guest that has to talk about it. <laughs> I haven't found uh, a soul brave enough yet to talk about Incredible Hulk. <laughs> but, uh, no, again, it's one of those things where, um, again, you're ready to see the next MCU movie or what would become the MCU movie. And it was a, a disappointment, especially compared to, you know, to Iron Man. And really, it's it's kind of one of those things where it was so perfect and you had so well cast and everything was just, you know, right all the way across the board. And you had a film, you know, from Universal that had a bunch of problems, you know, that, you know, had, you know, directors quitting and, and everything else like that. And it really kind of like it's a miracle some of these movies got made, you know, especially, you know, with all the rights issues. Mm-hmm. Um, with some of the, you know, actors that were involved that, you know, apparently, you know, can be difficult. Yeah. (laughs) Apparently it was very difficult, which again, um, is his right. But now obviously he's been replaced. So it, it, it it is kind of funny. Uh, Incredible Hulk. I mean, not to get too far off off topic here, but it it, it is almost like the outlier of the Marvel cinematic universe where like, I think collectively we've all kind of forgotten is actually there because we've all just embraced, uh, you know, new Hulk so much. Yeah. Uh, Jesus, I'm trying to blank on the actor's name. Mark Ruffalo. Um, Ruffalo. Yeah. 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 Uh, he's been so phenomenal as both Bruce Banner and the Hulk. I, I, I think we just kind of collectively have amnesia about that movie. I don't know what it is. Well, and really the only like thing that you need to get out of that movie is, uh, the Hulk went to New York and destroyed things. And that's really kind of all that, you know, really, like that's really the only thing to take away from that film. It it is funny. We we could do an entire podcast on on the two disasters that were Hulk films. It's pretty <laughs> funny. I I I didn't hate the Incredible Hulk by any means, but it's just was that. I mean, compare following following in the wake of Iron Man, you're like, oh well, it's kind of a letdown. Yeah. So yeah, that's a bummer. But at least they got the Hulk on the right track eventually. Because yeah, exactly. Big figure in the Avengers. My God. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like, because so, I, I was nervous when they were like, oh, yeah, no, the Hulk's going to be the Avengers. Like, he is. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> we'll just hope the CGI is a little better. Right? <laughs> as long as the abomination doesn't follow him, I guess we'll be okay. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, one thing, though, in, in watching it again uh, fairly recently as well, and by the way, in my MCU countdown, uh, I've got Iron Man as number six. And it's mostly because, again, fan of the character, mm-hmm, but it kind of sure. set the template for all the MCU films. It kind of said, this is kind of, you know, what we're going to go with. And this is kind of what you can expect from an MCU film. Some of them kind of took some left turns. You know, Thor Ragnarok is definitely very uh, out of the box and different uh, from, um, you know, the first Iron Man film. You know, Iron Man 3 is very different from the first Iron Man film. But this kind of like laid that template of like, hey, this is what we can go to to expect. Uh, What I think though is, Watching the first film, it's amazing how, uh, you know, the Russo brothers took elements from this first film and carried it over into Infinity War and Iron Man and uh, Endgame. And so that you have things like cheeseburgers become a thing, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and I was like, wow, like they really went back and kind of took like, what is it about Tony's character that we can like bring him full circle and also kind of like we were paying attention yeah i i i agree with that 100 percent. i mean obviously i think the russos yeah. were were an amazing choice um you know i mean when they, when they when they were first selected to direct winter soldier you're like oh those guys from community all right that's weird but okay but obviously you, you, they had they had the chops <laughs> for it yeah but you knew they were fans 
And it was just like the same thing, like making sure that Favreau stayed part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe behind the scenes, a big part of making sure that all these films worked out really well. And then obviously the the, the kind of like the unsung heroes of, to a certain extent, I suppose, is like uh, the the writing team of Marcus and McFeely. They, they ended up writing a big chunk of the back half of the of those films. Uh, you know, I think they started up with with Thor two, and they they. <laughs> Which they were like, hey, no, Thor 2 is good, and we're going to put it in an Avengers Endgame, so you have to recognize it. <laughs> <laughs> it did make me actually go back and watch it after seeing Endgame. I was like, you know what? Maybe I've been that, a little unfair to it. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, fair enough. But yeah. again, again, the Thor movies aren't – the first two aren't great, but they're not unwatchable. No. They're, they're fun. Enjoy I can them. have them on and be like, that's a good time. Yeah, exactly. It's, it helps, you know, Hemsworth's great. I was going to say, know. that fucking Hemsworth, it wasn't so fucking charming and gorgeous and funny. <laughs> it wouldn't work at all. Exactly, yeah. But uh, and I know we're I know we're way off track, but I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> but I was going to say also, because I, I know you brought up Ragnarok, but one of the reasons why I love Ragnarok, and I, I think as a longtime comic fan, you'll appreciate this too, is I'm so used to the characters, you know, like you're, you're collecting a book for, you know, 100 years or whatever like that. And you get new creators come in and they relaunch it and they take it in new directions. Like that's what I thought of Ragnarok. I was like, oh, Tyke's coming on and Thor in a new direction. It's just like reading the comic books. It's like I'm cool with this. It totally works. Absolutely. You know, kind of going back to when I was, you know, reading comics. You know, in the in the '80s, you had, you know, uh, Spider-Man going from the, you know, blue and red costume to you know the symbiote suit. Yep. You had uh, Storm going from her like you know kind of robes and everything else like that, and and cape to her kind of more punk rock, you know, with the mohawk. Uh, you know, with the with the mohawk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, and then you know, Iron Man going from his, you know, kind of more traditional, you know, red and and uh, yellow to that silver centurion, which again, that was the kind of one that like it popped off the shelf at the comic book store. Like, oh, I gotta, I gotta get that yeah. issue. You know, I I love the silver centurion armor as well. I, I you know, it, it kind of cameos in Iron Man two, but you know, mm-hmm. it, it was never done justice. I thought. In the films, yeah. but you know, maybe, maybe down the road, we'll see what happens. For sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's get back to Iron Man. I'm, I'm way off topic now. Though. Yeah, yeah. No, I go back to my notes. Going, God, where are we? Where are <laughs> we? Yeah, I'm way, I'm way off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, again, it's kind of one of these things where I can nerd out about MCU movies for hours. No, so. no, no. I, I agree 100. percent That's why I didn't mind yeah. the. It all kind of ties back. All of this conversation that that may not seem directly related is directly related because if it wasn't for this film, we wouldn't have these other movies to talk about. So to me, it all, it all does kind of tie back. Don't worry about that. Yeah. yeah. This is an NPR. We, we're okay. We can, we can wander a little <laughs> bit and kind of explore our thoughts. Exactly. Uh, where did I want to go next? Jesus. Uh, we talked about extreme, uh, the, the Addy Gradnov's contribution to the armor. Uh, it is, it, it is funny to me. Well, I don't know if I want to talk about that. Well, okay. I will. <laughs> but the war, the Warren Ellis arc, the extremist arc that, Visually, yeah. was such an inspiration for the film, kind of became the basis of the third Iron Man movie, which is a little strange. What do you think of that? Yeah, um, and I have some issues with uh, the third Iron Man film. Again, it's um, it very much felt like a uh, an Iron Man issue without the suit. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, as an Iron Man fan, and I want to see the suit. I want the suit. Like that's, I'm going to an Iron Man movie to see to see the suit. Uh, the Extremist uh, storyline, amazing, great book. Um, really like that arc. Uh, 
I thought they could have handled it a little bit better in the third Iron Man film. But I know that there are a lot of like really big fans of that that one in particular. Well, so in the in this first film, the, you, you know you t- you talked about it already. They they tease the Ten Rings. Mm-hmm. Were you were you satisfied with the Mandarin payoff in Iron Man three? <sighs> Deep sigh. Yeah, because I love Ben Kingsley and I do like the left turn. Um, I'm glad that they're going to have the Ten Rings in the Shang's uh, South uh, the Kung Fu film. Yes, um, because I kind of like that. They still have that opportunity to go back to. Um, ultimately, uh, if I was given a choice, yes or no, I'm going to say no. Um, but it was an interesting choice. And I love Ben Kingsley as an actor. And I, I thought it was an interesting choice. Just wasn't the choice that I was necessarily looking for. Mm-hmm. And again, I probably do need to go revisit it um, because, again, I probably have my own prejudices against it. That's fair. That's that's completely yeah. fair. Um, yeah. Yeah. There, there's a lot of I have I have, I think Iron Man three is a mixed bag of, of things. There's yeah. things I like in it. There's things I don't. But we can talk about that later. We'll we'll get to Iron Man two and three. Those are, those can be separate shows. Um, let's talk a little bit going back to the first film. The creation of the suit, the t- the the process that Tony goes through in developing the Mar- the Mark two suit in particular. Yeah. It's so wonderful to re- kind of revisit that scene and just see like the little things in there that are so good. There's like these fun, well, the, the wonderful comedic touches of, of the robots. I was gonna say yeah, <laughs> like kind of the physical comedy and him crashing into things and like you know the different arms. Yeah, the, the one that always wants to shoot him with the fire extinguisher. It, you know, <laughs> it's, it's so good. Uh, this, this 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 first Iron Man film, Tony gets to, or Robert Downey, I should say, gets to do so many different things that sometimes. In some of the later films, he's kind of like locked into like dramatic, serious mode. Uh, but Tony really gets to play in this first movie and have a lot of fun with with the things around him and the technology, and it's so wonderful to see. I it's just again, it, it leads to like this this wonderful rewatchability with that first Iron Man film. Uh, I'll, I'll let you talk before I kind of wrap it up. How how do you feel about that kind of stuff? No, I I like that. I like the introduction of uh, Jarvis. I love uh, kind of like that whole voiceover kind of just gave me kind of feels to, you know, kind of what's ultimately going to come. But um, I, I really like that creation of the suit scenes, the kind of becoming Iron Man through the different trial and error and lots of errors. And again, like you said, kind of breaks up the levity a little bit because we go from like, you know, being in you know the cave and, you know, shit going down to like, all right, well, now I, I need to build my own suit here and keep myself alive. And um, it was kind of one of those things where, you kind of need that moment to kind of break things up a little bit before you go to, all right, now he's going to go blow shit up. Yes, I agree. And, and since you brought up Jarvis, I, we should talk about Jarvis a little bit because I, yeah. I thought that was a wonderful way to bring that character in uh, because you're, you're, you're portraying a Tony Stark that's very much a futurist, very much forward-thinking, very much uh, uh, technology-dependent, kind of tech-based. So why would he have a, 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 a old man butler with limitations when he could have technology that can do pretty much anything he wants it to do because he can envision it. Uh, and then obviously the voice of Paul Bettany as Jarvis was, I thought a wonderful addition. Absolutely. And yeah. Even though at the time, apparently he had no idea that he was going to become an actual character in the films. <laughs> yeah. I, again, I feel like he was just like, he just took the job. Was, oh yeah. I'll, I'll do a couple of voiceover. Probably need a couple of days. And then, you know, 
see how, how things go, you know, in between, you know, other films. And, uh, yeah, I, I love his, his kind of just very matter of factness in his voice. Yes. Um, and, uh, I, I do love that it kind of does kind of tie back to, um, the Jarvis character that, you know, um, um, again, kind of an, like you said, a, a, a very proper, uh, English, you know, gentleman kind of thing. I don't think I had any idea that Jarvis would eventually become Vision. Uh, again, I, I think I wasn't seeing that far ahead. You know, again, I, I don't think anybody was. No, you're 100% right about that. I, I yeah. agree. And, but it, it's so funny because looking back, it's kind of obvious because, I mean, he's in the suit with Tony. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait, how didn't we see this coming? <laughs> But just again, just another one of those wonderful touches that that Favreau and, and Robert Downey thought of, you know, for the for the for the suit. It's like, oh, we'll just put Jarvis in here. That way, he's not just, you know, looking at things, you know, facially, but he's actually like engaging with different people or or, or Jarvis or with uh, uh, Rhodey through the suit, stuff like that. So yeah. you can you can go inside the helmet, and he's actually just doing things, not making mean like fierce faces. So exactly. a, a wonderful touch. I'm glad you brought up Jarvis. Thank you for doing that. I'm surprised. I'm shocked and offended that he wasn't in my own notes. <laughs> uh, let's talk about, we'll, we'll kind of skip to the end here, um, but uh, what did you think about the decision to not have the secret identity, to not do like the Iron Man's Tony's bodyguard and the way they kind of made fun of that idea? Yeah, uh, I think ultimately it's kind of one of those things where you're going to have to have an out of the closet superhero for lack of a better word, but basically somebody that you're going to know their secret identity. Um, and I feel like Tony at the time feels bulletproof, you know? Sure. No pun necessarily intended, but again, he's got the suit of armor, so he feels, you know, indestructible. So he's like, yeah, I can tell everyone I'm Iron Man because again, I kind of feel like, um, I've got that much power and I've got that much you know, richness that I, I have enough protection around me that Nobody can take me out. Yeah, it, 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 I thought it was a really interesting idea because uh, even in the comics, it was never my favorite secret identity, like the you know the bodyguard that would mysteriously appear whenever Tony was in trouble, kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I I, I, I like the way they handled it in in the film, and like you said, uh, Tony kind of feels bulletproof, but I, I but it also kind of speaks a little bit to like the little bit of the narcissism that he has. And he's like, yeah, no, I, I am Iron Man. Fuck it, who cares. Come, yeah, at me. Exactly. Come at me, bro. And, uh, <laughs> but it, I don't know. It just, it just resonates too with, with you know, with the, obviously with 2008 times to now, but the, the idea of like a celebrity superhero kind of vibes with like the, this kind of uh, culture that you have that just embraces celebrity in, in a weird and disturbing ways. So in a, in a way it kind of leaned into that. And I, and I, I guess I really liked it and appreciated that, that they weren't like, yeah, you know what? If this was a celebrity in real life, they'd be like, yeah, I am fucking Iron Man. Deal with it. Yeah, I'd follow Iron Man on Twitter. I think I actually do, but... (laughs) (laughs) Is he he a good follow? (laughs) I have no idea. I'm not hearing a whole lot lately, though. (laughs) Hmm. Well, he's dead. (laughs) Spoilers. Yeah, there's that. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, I, I again, I was not a fan of I was I was watching the film. I remember watching the film in the theaters the first time. And uh real briefly the 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 story for when I saw Iron Man the first time in theaters, it was opening night and I had to tell my then girlfriend who's now my wife that I wasn't going to come and visit her at grad school because I had to go see Iron Man with my friends that night. 
How did that go over? Well, at the time, you know, not great, but uh, we're we're married, so like, you know, ultimately there she forgave go. me. <laughs> she knows, she knows I'm a dork. It doesn't matter. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I but I remember sitting there in the theaters, and I'm 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 there with my buddy. I'm, I'm elbowing him, and I'm like, Is he, are they gonna do the bodyguard thing? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> and then they go. I was like, oh, cool. I'm glad they're not doing that. It makes it more fun. And I. I can tell you, I think about it. Most of the Avengers had really lame secret identities too. Like Thor's wasn't great. Cap's was never strong. Yeah. I mean, it was never really strong either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, Cap was like the, the uh, this yeah. weird artist in Brooklyn. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then like the I'm going and go uh, not to go too deep into Thor again, but uh, I'm glad they didn't do the Donald Blake stuff with Thor because that was just confusing. I do like they kind of played around a little bit with the name bag and then just kind of like, let's never do this. Let's never speak of this again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, we'll get into that on the Thor episode, but my goodness. Yeah. I mean, why, why take Hemsworth off the screen or, or reduce him into something that he's not? Just embrace the exactly. fact that he can do so many different things. Yeah, for sure. Oh, man. All right. So Robert Downey Jr. from this moment on takes over the entire Iron Man mythology, the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. I, I I don't know how I don't think I have much more to say about the film other than that it's so strong and I know going back when you watch it again it's not as kind of grandiose as some of the, like the later films once the stakes became higher but it's it's such a fun movie to watch still that you can show it to anybody yeah I, I mean outside of like a flip phone and a MySpace reference it's still fairly topical and still feels very much like at of the time it doesn't feel like it's like that far dated like it it's weird to think it's 12 years old yeah you know it's funny you brought, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the flip phone in the, in the myspace because the the other one i had on my list for that actually was uh the maxim magazine reference too i was like wow these are all things that will never be discussed in a marvel film ever again <laughs> it's true true <laughs> and you know I, I think this is correct me if i'm wrong i mean i think the only other exception would be incredible hulk but after pretty much from this point forward any military that's featured in the films is pretty much shield, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because like this is the first one with like a real like uh, armed for you know U.S. armed forces presence in it, uh, which was I thought I thought they introduced it and handled it really well. Like I loved his interaction with the soldiers in the beginning of the film, but yeah, it yeah. It, it all becomes shield after this. Yeah, um, the the no gang signs, please. That's a that's a great line. That's a great line. There's something. Anything else? You're kidding me with the hand up, right? Is it cool if I take a picture with you? Yes. It's very cool. All right. I don't want to see this on your MySpace page. Please, no gang signs. No, throw it up. I'm kidding. Yeah, peace. I love peace. I'll be out of a job with peace. Really uh, fantastic. Like, the, the writing on it is very spot on. And again, a lot of it's RDJ's, you know, delivery and everything else like that. Um, but, like, one of the things, like, I think about, and again, especially coming from seeing Endgame and sitting through the credits and hearing, you know, the sound of, you know, Iron Man's basically the suit being, you know, hammered out. Um, but like the line, you know, the, the, what's the scientist's name that he's in the cave with? Oh, you're going to get me on that one. Yeah. I don't, I don't know it either. So I'm not, I'm not, a, <laughs> but, uh, but his line Jensen, basically, don't waste your life. there it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't waste your life. You know, and kind of one of those things where, um, you know, when we see how his whole arc plays out, you know, and, and um, I also kind of made a note um, that there's also a line about um, some, 
basically, uh, it's going to be okay. I think that was pepper to to him, and it, again, kind of going back to him and his death scene in, in Endgame. And again, it's just so many nice little touches that kind of bring it. Like here is where where the rocket is about ready to lift off, and it's just starting to kind of like get into the atmosphere. Yeah. And then once kind of like all the way comes up to you know you know it, its height and you know Infinity War and Endgame and everything else like that, the MCU just is. Is, is like a machine. It's basically, again, I'm, I'm a little bit, I, I kind of, so I was three when Star Wars came out. My parents said, nope, you're not seeing Star Wars. When <laughs> uh, I was, let's see, I would have been six when Empire came back, it came out and uh, my parents saw how devastated when I heard that like Luke Skywalker got his hand chopped off. Like, yeah, you're not going to see that yet. But when Return of the Jedi came out, then I could go see the first Star Wars film on a re-release, and oh, then see okay. Empire re-released, and then so I feel like this is what the MCU is kind of what it would have like been like to be around, you know, for the the Star Wars films in that peak of like, oh my God, here's three amazing films within you know a matter of time. Except for they're putting out multiple Marvel films a year, and trying to keep all those balls in the air and juggling them without like dropping them significantly. Pretty amazing feat. Oh no, a hundred percent. And, and I mean, let's, let's be honest from a nerd perspective, the biggest travesty tragedy of COVID-19 is the massive delay in the next Marvel cinematic Uh releases. (laughs) Like we're going to have to wait longer now for the next entries. Exactly. And I, I'm okay with waiting until November to see Black Widow. I don't really want to see it on uh, Disney Plus. I want to see it in the theater. But the more I think about it, the more I was like, are we going to have that experience like an Endgame when you're in a packed house and everybody's screaming, you know, to, you know, have that opportunity of like having that shared experience, you know, post COVID-19 in, you know, they're talking about movie theaters opening up, you know, in the next, you know, couple of weeks. And God, like, am I going to have my wife sitting next to me, or am I going to have like four seats in between each yeah. person? And or you'd be wearing masks be... and not eating popcorn. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's yeah. There's a lot of questions to figure out on that front. And you know, yeah. when are we going to be comfortable as a society to go to places like that? Now, obviously, there are plenty of people that are jumping at the chance to go because I've seen the beaches. The beaches are packed. No one's wearing masks yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I hope that they can kind of stay as close to a timeline as possible. Um, and obviously things are shut down, so not not as many things are, are filming right now. Um, but I, I will say, um, being at Comic-Con last year and seeing their plans, um, it, it felt like it was like, wow, they have been literally thinking about this, you know, ever since the first Avengers film. Like, here's our plan. And how much of this really kind of started on the first Iron Man film? Because mm-hmm. again, this was failure. You potentially, you know, and then if you follow, if this was a failure and the Hulk was a failure, would you have had, you know, a second Iron Man film? Yeah. Would you have had a Thor film? Would you have had the Avengers? You know. No, the 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 first Iron Man. Uh, it's the genesis point. I mean, it is the thing from which all great things came after. 
And yeah. if, if we don't have it, it's it's a it's a real bummer, man. And it, just think how less full our lives would be in a lot of ways as as nerds. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. No, again, uh, you know, Endgame is you know, you know, one of the biggest you know, films of all time, and people are going to be talking about it again. It, um, it's it's a film that again rewards the more the films that you uh, that you've seen. So again, if you've seen ten of the you know twenty films, yeah, you get something out of it. You've seen all of them, you get a lot out of it. Yeah. Well, and that's why there's something nice about about the first Iron Man film where you you can introduce somebody to the MCU who's like, oh, I've heard of these movies, but like, you know, what's the deal? And like, you can watch Iron Man, and it's like, I I don't mean it as an insult by any stretch, but it's 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 simple. Like you can just sit there and watch it. You don't have to worry about ten different other things that have happened already. You know, you just plug in, watch Iron Man, and have a great time. And if you want to go down the rabbit it's hole, it's there for you. Yeah, it's very much a standalone. It's the free comic book day issue of the MCU. It's it's you know, a, that you're like, I don't. Yeah, it's a super accessible, beautiful entry point. Beautiful entry point. Yeah. Um, I know we didn't talk about certain things. I I. I I know we talked a little bit about when he's testing the suit and ironing and doing the stuff. I love him uh, race rocketing up to the atmosphere to test the suit and the, it, it icing up on him because he just that's still like the one thing he didn't calculate for, and then yeah. having to do that. And then uh, we mentioned a little bit with the military, but I love that fighter jet scene. That was another thing oh, I really yeah. did want to talk about. I love that, and then how the accident happens and he has to like rocket down to save the pilot, but he's having that phone conversation with Rhodey at the same time. I was like, that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, again. Having an action sequence with, you know, like a comedic relief as well, kind of just makes it very playful, very fun. Um, again, with rewatchability, it, it's kind of one of those things like you're kind of along for the ride. It's it's that roller coaster where you're you're just having fun, hands up, you know, not holding on to anything. Do you got anything else on your notes that we haven't talked about yet? Well, we didn't really talk about uh, the introduction of uh, Phil Folsom. Gosh darn it! You're sure right about that. We yeah. didn't. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know what? I have feelings about Coulson. <laughs> yeah. So go ahead. What do you got written down? Let's go with that. Yeah, I I, I really like um, that they kind of use him as the kind of the the glue to all the films to kind of you know kind of bring things in. Um, uh, again, it's, he's kind of the very much a kind of a, seems like a pencil pusher. Just hey, I just I, I just want to meet with you. Can you can you have some time to meet with me? You know, and he just kind of brushes him off, brushes him off, brushes him off. Um, and that makes the scene when, you know, Nick Fury comes in that much bigger. It's like, oh, well, uh, you weren't willing to talk to my, my, the low man on the totem pole. I'm going to go from the very top. And so, right. um, but I, I like that he's kind of uh, this kind of nerdy kind of, you know, like I said, pencil pusher, kind of, you know, just bureaucrat, you know, not, not high, not low, kind of just somewhere in the middle management of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, yeah, I think you're 100 percent right, and I love that he's kind of he kind of became like the everyman of the Marvel universe for, for up through Avengers. Yeah. Um, how much are, are are you pretty plugged in on the Marvel TV series as well? Did you watch Agents of Shield and, and those? I'm I'm a few seasons behind on Shield. I kind of lost interest a little bit. Um, I'm trying to catch up a little bit. Uh, I definitely watched all of uh, Agent Carter. Um, Agent Carter for the most part, like. Yeah. Agent Carter's great, and I, I love the way uh, the two Jarvises tie together. You know, the, you yeah. see Jarvis before he's computerized, basically. Yeah, exactly. A, a wonderful touch uh, to go back and watch Agent Carter. Yeah. Uh, I will say, yeah, I, I feel like 
some of Agents of Shield they kind of were kind of swimming in circles for a while, and then it did kind of peak and valley a little bit. And I think that's I think it was around Ghost Riders when I kind of stopped paying as close of attention. Mm-hmm. But I've heard that it's gotten much much better. It's it, I mean from season to season it's all over the place. <laughs> yeah, but it, it it did get better as they uh, they shrunk the seasons down to like you know thirteen ish episodes because uh, they were able to kind of focus more. My my favorite point of Agents of Shield was uh, when the Hydra reveal, reveal happens, and it basically happens in real time. Like Cap, you know, Winter Soldier comes out, and then the next week on Shield is like, oh shit, everything's happening here too. And like, I yeah. I, I kind of like love the way that synced up. Uh, but it, I, <laughs> this is so stupid. But to me, there is a world somewhere. There's there's a a a, a cutscene somewhere where, where Captain America or Tony Stark finds out that Coulson's still alive, and they're like, what the fuck. <laughs> I was kind of hoping that maybe they would bring in Coulson somehow in Endgame. I, I don't know how, and again, it'd be one of those like very hard to explain, or if he was just one of the circles that came out, you know, kind of one of those things from Doctor Strange. But I kind of wanted just to, like, hey, just as you know, Cap is saying, you know, Avengers assemble. Like Coulson's like holding like a big gun or something like that, and going, yes. <laughs> that would have been that would have been awesome. You're right about that. Yeah. But, you know, there's also a part of me, too, now now that we know what the next Doctor Strange movie is going to be, where it's like, oh, maybe Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is actually in a multiple universe. And that's that's kind of explains it. And Coulson's actually dead in the in the main timeline still. I You know, I don't know. I don't know what kind of tricks yeah. they're going to play on us. Mul- Multiverse of Madness, Doctor Strange movie, could be the most insane thing we've ever seen. I'm really excited for it. Uh, again, I like the first one. Um, I love... I'm a Cumberbitch. I, I won't lie to you. I am, too. Um, I... I'm as excited as I was for it when I was there at Comic-Con, Scott Dickerson came out. I'm even more excited that Sam Raimi is involved because again, Sam Raimi is just one of those like directors that I think would totally nail the horror elements that they're talking about bringing in. Um, And I'm very curious, like how the Scarlet Witch and, you know, the WandaVision, you know, is going to all tie all together. So, it, I mean, the, 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 obviously with, with Raimi involved, there have been the rumors about all the Spider-Man being in the movie. But, I mean, could you imagine uh, uh, Sam Raimi, like, convincing Dolph Lundgren to come back and be the Punisher again in a different universe? Or, you know, you know, crazy Captain America or even Nick Cage reprising Ghost Rider for a second for, like, a two-second <laughs> cameo? Uh, this movie could be bananas, and I'm excited about it. <laughs> if we don't get Hasselhoff, as Nick Fury. Oh, 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 oh my God. <laughs> you are totally well, right about that. because he is in the MCU already. Yeah, the, so the, old, the old Fox movie. The MCU, so. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the old Fox movie. It was not good. Yeah. <laughs> but again, that this is what we were kind of, you know, this is, I mean, again, uh, I would say probably the, the modern superhero movie really started, you know, with, with Superman, the movie, and you know, in the sequels, then obviously 89's Batman was just such a cultural, cultural phenomenon and yeah. huge box office success. And then, but then again, there was just like, you know, the, the 90s were a really tough time of there were good things about it. There were a whole lot of bad ones. And for every good comic book movie, there was probably three or four bad ones. And oh, yeah. I feel like now we're starting to see where the quality of the comic book films are a lot better. Um, they're being nominated and winning Oscars. You know, there, there, there's definitely the qualities is coming up and it's exciting time to be a part of, you know, again, it's, it's exciting to think that, you know, these 20 odd films, you know, of, of the MCU, 
they still have plans for yet another arc. And what that arc is going to be is probably going to be laid out in Black Widow. So is Black Widow going to be the Iron Man of the next phase, you know? Right, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I'm really excited. I love the fact that we're, we're in this day and age where uh, the comic movies are being taken seriously and, and the, they're being uh, written and directed and, and cast with people who love the source material, who don't look down on it. We, we, we finally have moved past that phase where it's like, oh, comics are for kids or blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, this is like good stuff and like you can do a lot of really great things with it. I, I love we're in that kind of golden age of... of uh, comic book movies right now you know we're, we're living in, in the sweet spot and I, I couldn't I can't I don't want it to end anytime soon absolutely no and as long as you know they, they keep making money I don't think there's any end in sight as long as you know the quality stays up and, and people are there's an audience for them I'm excited like again as excited as, as I was for you know seeing all these you know Spider-Man films and everything else like I can't wait for the next Spider-Verse movie and I want to see Miles Morales in the new MCU yeah you know I, yep. I'm excited for, you know, uh, Love and Thunder. Like, I want to see, you know, the Jane Thor. I like, I want to see, like, these things. Again, I want to go uh, and explore, you know, uh, you know Falcon as, as Captain America. I, I'm excited for all these, you know, changes and different things. Because, again, it'd be pretty boring, again, if, you know, Chris Evans made, you know, 10 Captain America movies. You yeah. Know? Again, let's give other people a chance. Let's explore, you know, this multiverse see see what else is out there um and yeah it's exciting like again there's there's a lot of excitement in uh comic book movies um i'm i'm on for the ride again i i i squealed like a girl at <laughs> last year and i'm hoping that they'll have a comic-con at home panel for marvel um maybe show us a little something um because obviously the uh falcon and uh winter soldier um, is planning and coming out in August for on Disney Plus, so we kind of got something at least to kind of whet our appetites a little bit. You know, a little something from WandaVision, something to just kind of get us kind of like, hey, we're not, we're here, we're not, don't, don't stay out of our conscious. Yet, yeah, yeah, exactly. So much to come, and uh, I'm, I'm just along for the ride, and and it's awesome to think that you know one kind of mid level release. Um, was such a huge hit in 2008 that would springboard onto ultimately a, a multi-billion dollar franchise. Yeah, I mean, like, like you said it before, I mean, 20 plus films and, you know, the vast majority of them are, you know, eminently enjoyable, rewatchable. I mean, Masterpiece might be a strong word, but like they're, they're fantastic. They're so good. Yeah. yeah, again, it very much feels like, you know, you're picking up a comic book and the whole issues of like crossovers where, Hey, you know, if you want to know what's going on in the Secret War, you have to, you know, buy this issue of Thor and this issue of, you know, X Men and this issue of She Hulk, and you know, and and all these different, you know, elements kind of coming together. And again, if it wasn't for this first film being a success, who knows what would happen? Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I mean, just just think about the viability. Like, if Iron Man fails, and then Kevin Feige's, you know, goes up to whoever's in charge of the money is like, Hey, I want to make a guardians of the galaxy movie. You know, I think you and I were the only people who, who like knew that concept, you know, that, that property as well as we did. And we're like, no, no, this could work. But <laughs> without the success of Iron Man, you pitch that movie and they're like, what are you talking about? A talking tree. Yeah. Are you fucking crazy. Yeah. Wait, uh, a, a raccoon a with rac- a gun. <laughs> this is, 
not going to work at all. No, I, I remember, uh, 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 I think we were messaging each other on Twitter about Guardians, and we are like, oh my god, it's just like the, the Abnett and Landing run, it's going to be amazing. Like, all these people who are naysaying are going to be wrong. Absolutely. No, I remember um, being at that at that Comic-Con panel, and like I was like, they're making a Guardians of the Galaxy movie? Like, again, like, of all the, like, people in the Marvel, you know, universe, like, I would guess Guardians of the Galaxy a hundred like i would put put them at like a hundred and yet they're my favorite ones of the whole of the whole series so well, and, and the, first I, two. I, yeah. the, the next big surprise will be, will be uh, uh eternals and that's gonna be the one i think that will get people by the throat like oh my god i've never even heard of this and it's good i'm really optimistic about that one same here i mean again i, I think it's a great cast uh, i'm really excited you know that they're they're taking really fantastic directors um that maybe aren't, you know, they're not Michael Bay. They're not like, you know, big name action, you know, directors, but people that are thoughtful, that have really interesting uh, perspectives and points of views and giving them this opportunity to tell their story a very different way than, you know, like I said, a, you know, a more traditional action director, you know, would, would do. Um, and I think that's important because again, we've all seen all the explosions, things blow up, yeah. you know, and, you know, yeah, we want that, you know, in the film, but really what makes Iron Man, Iron Man is the flaws of, of Tony Stark. It's, it's seeing him as a human being. And then what he does is to put on the suit. I, I couldn't agree more with you on that a hundred percent. And maybe one day we'll live in a world where DC gets it figured out too. We can have, we can have just double the amount of comic book movies that are good. You know, I, I really want that more than anything because again I, I definitely was more of a Marvel reader but Batman's my all time favorite comic book character and I and think I, the I th Dark Knight is The Dark Knight Returns is probably like the perfect comic book that I've ever read and I, I will always say comic book and never say graphic novel because I feel like graphic novel is for people that are afraid to say the word comic book you're, I think you're you know what that's a really great point uh, you know I, I say graphic novel a lot and I think it's because I'm trying to trick people into reading comic book <laughs> But again, yeah, I mean, again, I, I know people like, oh, hey, you know, the Watchmen graphic novel. I'm like, no, it's a comic book. Where'd you buy that? Did you buy that at the comic store? It's a comic book. Please say comic book. It's not It's not a bad word. Again, I, I think there was like a negative connotation to it because they think of comic books as being childish, as being, you know, something that's lesser of, of an art form. But I will say some of like, you know, the work that, you know, Jack Kirby and um, Stan Lee and, you know, some of these early, early are, are fantastic art and uh, fantastic stories that again are, are, are telling parallels, you know, of, of, you know, racial discrimination and lots of just like really interesting uh, things that are going on at that time that are, are just as timely now as, as anything. But again, they, they told it through a medium of comic books that maybe it was a little bit easier for somebody that's a teenager to understand. No, somebody I, can like, understand, Oh, I feel different. You know, at, like I feel like Peter Parker and not, you know, it's okay to feel a little bit of an outsider and not be like, oh, gosh, you know, like, because, again, uh, Tony Stark's a billionaire. You know, it's not somebody that you can really, you know, probably not somebody you can relate to all that much. But you see his flaws. And that's what I really love about, you know, Marvel's characters is that they, they do show the flaws. They do show their insecurities, their, you know, inadequacies, their things that they're they have anxiety about. And I, I, I love that um, Marvel's not afraid to kind of go there. 
No, you're right. I mean, when I was when I was growing up, when I got into comics, and I got into comics a little bit later than than many, uh, but they were they were like my morality tales. You know, they 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 taught you valuable lessons and things like that. Like if you could see past the fact that it's like people in tights, <laughs> you know? Yeah, they're they're wonderful. I I will, I will always always defend the comic book as an art form. I I love the medium so much, and it's I'm been very concerned for for local comic book stores uh during covid while most of them are shut down and what when uh distribute uh, distribution was shut down so a lot of stores haven't had new material to sell uh i know it's been a tough time for them i hope many of them are persevering but i you know much like you know you and i are very active in the beer scene uh breweries are going to be having a hard time too and it's just like man who can come through the other side i, I think this is true with any small business you know again uh, so many of them rely on, you know, uh, constant, you know, patronage, you know, somebody who comes in every week and buys a comic book or buys a beer or buys, you know, whatever product. And again, uh, we're doing our best to try to support those. We're not going to be able to support everyone, unfortunately. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, it, it's really the most important thing I, I can say as far as uh, is that is, you know, go to your local comic store. Say there's an, a back issue you need to fill in or, you know, hey, I, I just need, you know. Um, you know, you know, maybe, uh, you know, collected works or something like that. Just get something, uh, something small just to kind of at least help them out as a, as a small business. Uh, and same with breweries, you know, Hey, you know, uh, I know a lot of them are opening up again and, and you know, maybe you're feeling comfortable to sit down and have a beer. Great. If not go buy a four pack, yep. you know, again, it's Plenty small things. Options. Yeah. But, uh, it's, it's a great thing for able to, um, just help them out a small, a small way. Because again, all those uh, tasting room employees have basically been furloughed, and you know they're they're not having the same opportunities to get tips and everything else like that. So I always try to like at least you know try to at least kind of support some of those smaller ones, especially the ones that you kind of know that like, well, if what what are the ones that you're going to want to be able to come back though for? So what are you going to want to be able to um, be able to see um, you know? when when there's a vaccine and we're all able to go high five and you know drink beers and everything like that uh if, the, if there's one that you're definitely going to miss just put that one earmark that one and, and make sure you give it your business because again uh there the future is uh uncertain yeah that's right that's right well listen i'm, yeah. I'm going to wrap it up here in a second but there's two things i did i did want to talk about to you about before i get before i let you go uh yeah. usually this time of year um you are all over twitter for Padres baseball, Al, how are you doing without without a baseball season so far? You do, you hanging in there? It's tough, man. Because again, I I, I love baseball. I, I'm you know a couple miles away from the ballpark, so I love to walk down the ballpark, you know, and uh, have a have a beer, meet up with my friends, you know, uh, watch some baseball, win or lose. I love the Padres, um, and and there was a lot of plans that we had for uh, the season, you know, uh, you know, potentially you know going on like a you know, a trip to see the Padres play 4th of July in, in New York. And um, unfortunately, all those plans kind of went out the window. Yeah. And um, um, I hope that there is a season. I understand if there will be, and I understand if there won't be. Um, it's a very difficult decision to make. I, I see all these other, you know, teams that are starting to come back or, you know, sports that are starting to come back. Um, it was very exciting to see the Padres draft up a couple of players last night and a couple more players today. Um, what that sport is going to look like as far as having fans in the future uh, is going to be interesting. Cause again, like all these things I used to do, like, 
oh yeah, you would just meet up with friends around behind the standing room area and like, well, are we all going to be in mask? Or is there going to be a standing room area? Are there going to be enough fans that can meet up to actually have a meetup? You know, again, it, it's kind of one of those things where I'd love to see what the future is going to look like. Um, but I am missing it. I, I do walk sometimes to the ballpark just to kind of make sure it's still there. Because, <laughs> um, again, understood, it's, understood. It's, it's a happy place. It's kind of like uh, driving by the Bally High uh, where my wife and I got married just to kind of make sure that's still there. Or the, you know, convention center's still there. You know, again, it, I go like to go back to places that brought me joy. And so that kind of just makes me like keeps my head right and makes me think about like, hey, I've got something to look forward to. Padres baseball in 2021. Yeah. Yeah, and I I know I know several members of of Padres Twitter, and I you guys I, I Padres Twitter is something to behold. <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting to see how it's it's grown and um, changed. Some for the better, some for the not so better. Well, I uh, I love your your relentless positivity is my favorite part of it because it you know it's Twitter it can get a little ne- negative and nan- nasty. Uh, but other other members of Padres Twitter like uh, I love AJ Preller he's one of my favorite people on the planet that guy kills me. He's great and the way he's able to go into people's into, into other teams' tweets and make them seem like uh, ISIS supporters just makes me laugh every time. <laughs> That's quite a bit, yeah. <laughs> the man's a genius. I I'm not gonna yeah. lie. <laughs> but um, I, we're all waiting for baseball. We're all waiting for all the sports. Uh, and I you know we just hope that maybe MLB will get it together and, and put a plan out so we can all get excited soon. Absolutely. It kind of feels like a lot of back and forth. I almost kind of wish that this all this would happen behind home, home closed doors, so I don't really need to see how the sausage made. I just kind of want to see baseball. Right. Because right. um, I feel like they're kind of using a little bit of the medias to, like, uh, see the players rejected this, and it was such a great deal. And then it was real. That actually was the exact same deal, just, you know, you just, you know, adjusted the numbers. Again, I probably, I think there's a lot of, you know, not blame's not the right word, but there's a lot of you know a lot to go around, and uh, I probably side with the players because they're the ones with the most at risk. Sure, because uh, the owners are, the owners are going to be losing money either way, mm-hmm. uh, regardless if there's you know 162 games or you know 40 games or whatever the the latest proposal is. Um, really, what it comes down to is because they're not going to get you know the people coming through the stands, you know sell, selling concessions, buying things. They're just not going to have the same uh, revenue. So it's like, do you want to lose, you know, X amount or do you want to lose Y amount? What's, what's the bigger deal? And again, we're also very close to uh, a year where uh, there's going to be the whole CBA, you know, with the, you know, collective bargaining. Um, So again, we, we kind of, we're kind of seeing this, the future of 2021, and that end of that season, what that's going to look like, because mm-hmm. you don't want it to be contentious going into the year, because then there's a potential of a strike. And, you know, baseball has been through more than enough strikes, and we just don't want to see that, because, again, this is potentially the Padres team that has the depth that it hasn't had in decades. It has, you know, exciting players that we haven't seen for probably, you know, since maybe the the 90s and here we are like this close to you know being a potential playoff team and then not being able to have baseball is just very frustrating 
Well, if there if there's one team that's excited about it, we we all know it's the Houston Astros because uh, they were getting the business <laughs> during spring training. Yeah. <laughs> well, the last thing yeah, I wanted. To... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Finish. Your... Go ahead. Finish your point. No. And again, it's one of those things. Like, will we forget about the Astros just because it'll be baseball back? We're like, ah, who cares? At least we're 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 watching yeah. baseball. Will, we're, will everyone be so excited to be out and about or, or watching games or whatever that they'll just you know be off the yeah. hook? But we'll yeah. we'll find that out hopefully soon, sooner rather than later. But. Yeah, yeah. In a safe and responsible way is the key thing, I suppose. But the last thing I wanted to mention to you is, obviously, you are Red the Trucker. You are a big Simpsons fan. I have uh, several listeners who I know are big Simpsons fans. Can you talk real quick about your love of the Simpsons? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so my uh, screen name comes from an episode of The uh, Simpsons. It's uh, Maximum Homer Drive. <laughs> to be honest with you, it's not my favorite episode. It just happens to be the episode that I saw before I signed on to a website called Simpsons Collector Sector. Ah. And it was a website that uh, pretty much uh, talked about the Playmates World of Springfield toys that came out in like the mid 2000s. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah, 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 where they had the interactive base. You put the yeah. figure on and then yeah, yeah, yeah. And had a line. So, yeah, yeah. Fantastic uh, line of series. And so that was one of those things that I, I collected around, around the same time as the Marvel Legends. And I just remember, um, I thought, well, hey, this is kind of funny because, you know, one, I'm a vegetarian and uh, I also <laughs> drive a hybrid uh, car. So it's kind of funny, like the dichotomy of me being, you know, not a meat eating trucker, which uh, is kind of like kind of maybe giggle. So this is the character that it kind of and it's become my online persona on, on most of the uh message boards and then obviously uh, social media as well so it's it's one of those things where i i was a fan back in the tracy ullman days uh i i really uh loved just like just the kind of the humor it was just the right age where i was about the same age as uh as bart and i just again it was one of those things like as i started watching it more i, I got more out of it um i i I had a roommate. Uh, he he had a ten year old son. We would always, you know, basically mark out Sundays at eight o'clock to watch The Simpsons together. And it was one of those things where like, I never appreciated there would be a joke that I would laugh at, and then be a joke that my roommate would laugh at, and then a joke that you know my roommate's son laughed at, and then like all of us, you know, laughed together. And again, it, it's such a smart show. Again, it's it's such a show that like you don't realize how smart it is until you start watching for multiple seasons and um, you learn about the writers on the show and, and just really what it is about, um, you know, where they're coming from. And again, it's such a long lasting show and it's had its peaks and valleys. I yeah. think it's actually on its way back up. I think uh, I was excited to see that it won a Peabody award. You know, it's, it's won Emmys. It's, it's a really smart, funny, fantastic show. Um, it's very timely. Um, it's, predictive apparently as well uh, <laughs> that's right it's very pressing at, at, at some points yeah um i love that i can have all these episodes on disney plus right now and just be able to like click on and, and see whatever episode but i also i really do love the dvds because i get the commentary and, yeah. and get to like hear the the writers and you know and everybody involved um i actually did get a chance to actually go to a table read for the simpsons and that was one of the most amazing surreal wow. moments of my life. Um, because I was sitting, you know, you know, 10 feet away from uh, Yardley Smith and to see her go from like, 
saying hello to people around, you know, just kind of, you know, hi, and then get into character yeah. and like here as Lisa. And again, it's not that big of a change, but just see her face and like she she's an actress. Like that's the one thing. Like these are actually actors. It's not just like, oh, read this line. All right, yeah, we'll go on to the next one. They, these people are actually literally putting their emotions on a on a practice. Like this isn't even like them recording. So it's uh, really incredible. Um, probably my favorite moment though as a, as a Simpsons fan was uh, I got to go a chance to see they did a uh, Simpsons take the bowl. So at Hollywood, uh, oh, Hollywood, I heard about this. Yeah, I went up That's there. So I cool. went up with, with our friend uh, Caesar, and I, I bought these tickets on Ticketmaster. It was like one of those things. Like it's kind of hard to tell. I'd never been there. I wasn't really sure um, because it wasn't a, like a rock performance. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. a, a group or anything like that. Uh, you can actually bring in your own alcohol. Ooh. The Hollywood Bowl. Uh, this probably has changed now, as maybe in the, in the future. But uh, so, of course, we had to bring some Nelson in because, ha ha! And it was just, Perfect. it was, uh, pretty, yeah, it was a pretty fantastic experience. Again, just to be around with a bunch of Simpsons fans, uh, singing along to all the songs, uh, getting a little emotional and, um, you know, any of the Phil Hartman songs came oh, up or anything. Yeah. You know, so uh, I did get a chance uh, to, to meet, you know, some of the, of the uh, creators and uh, Matt Graining, uh, especially uh, at Comic-Con. Uh, he's also always very, uh, very generous with his time. And, you know, uh, sometimes like if he's busy or, you know, with his kids or something like that, he'll just like give you a little card going, Hey, um, send me this, uh, send me mail to this address and I'll, I'll send you back a sketch. Um, but I was holding a, um, so speaking of Alpine, um, I brought a, um, uh, back in the day, they made a beer called Ned. Which oh, yeah, Flanders I remember Ned. Red. Yeah. And so, um, you know, he was, it was toward the end of the night and they kind of like, you know, kind of wrapping up things at their Bunko comic booth. And uh, I had, I just drank the night before at a Comic-Con party and I, I brought it just because like, I was like, I want Matt Grain to sign something that's pretty off the wall. Um, because I had a friend of mine who got him to uh, have a Homer sketch uh, that says "Yo Livewire" at Livewire. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's uh, above the bar. It's okay. fantastic. So, uh, um, so I was like, I want something that's like super unique, you know, uh, not just like an animation seller or something like that. So I had him sign a bottle of the Ned Flanders Ale, and at first he was like, uh, he was like a little hesitant, like he was like, "No, no, I'm sorry, I'm not signing anything." He said, Wait, what is that? And it, apparently uh, Matt is a big craft beer fan. Oh. And so he kind of wanted to know a little bit more about Alpine. He's with somebody with, with, uh, with Fox. Like, please don't shut down my favorite brewery. <laughs> uh, but one of those things where it was, it was kind of like, kind of cool to see him. And like, oh man, you know, I, I'll, have to, I'll have to get to know more about these these guys. I'm like, yeah, just no C&D, please. No C&D. C- 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 <laughs> so yeah, again, uh, Simpsons, just, it's been hard my life uh i get the chance to do a comic-con po- panel every year um about collecting the simpsons i i go to the uh the simpsons panel uh religiously it usually means i don't get to go a chance to hall h on uh on saturdays because again it's kind of one of those you got to pick poison uh are you gonna room 20 or are you gonna go to the hall h and you know again simpsons is such a big part of my life and um i really am thrilled to, that it's still going i'm still um tuning in every sunday and 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 watching so um it just it gives me great joy and again it's so amazing to see how many generations of simpsons fans are and they're they're 
there's still people starting to watch The Simpsons now, and especially with Disney Plus, you know, being able to go see back some of the old episodes and everything. Uh oh. <sighs> okay, don't panic. Remember what the instructor said. If you ever get into trouble, all you need to do is. Feels like I'm wearing nothing at all. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. <laughs> Stupid sexy Flanders. That is awesome, man. That's super cool. I'm glad you're involved in all that stuff. And uh, like, I'll be honest, like I could spend all day talking about all these different things because it's this is all right in my wheelhouse, man. I love it. I just say, like, I kind of said the same thing with with Craig Elson, but like, Tom, you and I like park our cars in the same garage. Like, it's like <laughs> we're we're very much agreeing a lot of the things because, again, I think we, uh, you know, we're I don't know, I'm not sure exactly how you old are, but like, again, we we have grown up in this time of all this pop culture, and you know, we we have a lot of the same influences, have seen a lot of the same things, and it's cool to be able to nerd out with somebody about you know the same things that you love. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more, and. uh as long as you had a good time, I'm, I'll, I will be happy to have you come back on and we'll, we'll talk more stuff, man, because it was a blast. Absolutely, Tom. Anytime. All right. This is Ken. He is at Red the Trucker, uh, just at, at Red the Trucker on Twitter and Instagram, right? Yeah. Those are the two main ones. Perfect. Ken, I will talk to you very, very soon. Thanks, for, thanks again for doing this. No problem. See you, Tom. Hey. Ow. Oh, it is a tight fit, sir. Hey. Ah. So the more you struggle, the more this is going to hurt. Be gentle. It's my first time. I designed this to come off, so. Ow! Hey! I'm not you. Please try not to move. Hey. What's going on here? Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. Hey, so there you have it, folks. That is the episode with uh, with Mr. Ken Garten and I discussing Iron Man from 2008. Uh, I th- I, that was a lot of fun. I had a really great time chatting with Ken about Iron Man and a few other topics. We got you know we got a little bit deeper into the MCU than maybe we we both had planned. But uh, as we said on the podcast, the two things I mean, the rest of the films are not unrelated to the success and, and the springboard that was Iron Man one. So I didn't I didn't have a problem going down. Uh, those little rabbit holes with, with Ken to discuss some of the other points of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And besides, this is a fun show. We're not doing NPR over here. We we can break format a little bit. It's all good. I also enjoy talking a little bit about Padre Baseball, a little bit of, about the uh, Padre Twitter scene, and of course The Simpsons. You know, we haven't talked much about The Simpsons on the podcast, uh, despite it being, uh, like, like Ken said, a, a show that basically uh, raised an entire generation of people who are our ages. So the Simpsons is a big deal. Uh, I think, you know, obviously I want Ken to come back and talk more about uh, Marvel films with me, but I think we're going to have to do a Simpsons spectacular at some point with Ken as well, because uh, the man is a wealth of knowledge. He's a font of information. And, uh, you know, a resource like that, you get them on the podcast, damn it, because they have good stuff for the pe- for the people. And this show is for the people. You guys know that. We're all doing things for the people. So I hope you guys had a good time with that conversation. It was a lot of fun, a lot of fun, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I was listening back as I was editing the show, and uh, the, I think the one thing that I, I kind of was up, not upset, but the one thing I, I'm bummed that we missed out talking about was uh, the, 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 the scene with Pepper and Tony where she is uh, removing the, the initial electromagnet that's holding the shards from getting into Tony's heart that's killing him. And uh, how that, that, that initial electromagnet becomes initial, 
you know, repulsor in, in, in a sense, uh, becomes kind of like this, this, this symbolic thing of Tony Stark, of Iron Man, and plays out, you know, spe- specifically in Avengers Endgame. Um, it's a it's a nice moment in the film that I I, I think uh, I think Ken and I would both like to have the chance to go back and talk about it a little bit more. But you guys know what that's about. I mean, shit, we'll just have to talk about Endgame and we'll we'll go back into Iron Man one to talk about that how that scene came about and how that plays out and the significance and its representation for Tony Stark and his evolution from you know from uh, weapons manufacturer to you know hero of the universe. Uh, so that, I think that's the only big thing I missed. I'm sure someone will let me know that I missed a couple other things too, but that's okay. That's okay. There's more podcasts to do. We'll get back into it. Don't worry about that. We're not going anywhere. Uh, you know, COVID-19 still going on and, 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 and we're, we're still going to keep creating the content. Excuse me very much. Sorry. I'm a little, uh, uh, frazzled right now. There was, there was an accident in the Tom cave during editing beer was spilled it spilled on top of uh, some some books I had recently acquired. I was very upset, uh, and, and they are currently sitting in front of a fan drying out. So, hey, accidents happen. The Tom Cave is not, is not impervious to accidents, unfortunately. And you know that's that's hey, that's how it goes here. Uh, so, listen, thank you guys so much for listening, guys and gals. Thank you so much for listening, being part of the Tomcast Podcast experience. That's right, I've promoted us to experience. We're like. One of those bands from the 70s now. We're like a jam band. It's it's all good. Uh, thank you so much for downloading, subscribing, liking, sharing, supporting, writing those five-star reviews. It means the world to me. Uh, extra special thanks to my Patreons. Thank you to the Aspen Hill Chody, the Batman of Bay Park, Mr. Jeff Nail. He's got the Ring in Ear podcast going on. They're doing great things over there. If you want to listen to a music-centric podcast, thank you to the Evil Circle, the evilest of all circles. And welcome back to Mr. Brian Broussard. We're glad to have you back in the fold, sir. Back in Pophead Nation. And uh, you have a lot of content to catch up on because we're over there on Patreon. We're whooping out the videos. We're whooping out commentary tracks for movies that no one's watched in 20 years. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun. And, uh, and I'm hoping I'm giving you guys a lot of bang for your buck. So get over there. Check those things out. Watch the videos. Download the commentary tracks. However those, however it works. I don't know how it works. I just, I just, give, I just give them the content. I give them links. I give them content. That's what I do. It's what I do. Anyways, I'll let you guys get back to your lives. <laughs> but I hope I've provided a little bit of entertainment and fun in the meantime. So thank you all so much for listening. Thank you. A special, extra, extra special thanks to Ken Garten for coming on and, and becoming part of, of Pophead Nation. And I, I think we're going to have Ken back on very, very soon. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed his energy his enthusiasm his knowledge on 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 all these things uh i i had a blast talking to him and i i think he'll be back part of the recurring cast of 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 motley fools that we are over on the tomcast podcast i hope he doesn't mind that i called him a fool but we're all fools here so <laughs> thank you guys for listening take care of each other keep washing your hands keep social distancing face masks over the nose people not under the nose okay under the nose is like it's like putting your penis over your underpants it makes no sense don't do it all right, and then obviously, if you're out, if you're protesting, you're doing those things. Be safe, be responsible, but you know, let the people make the government hear your voices. Uh, scream to the scream to the rafters, scream to the rooftops, uh, and and let's make change in this country. Okay, uh, the Tomcast podcast supports you and is behind you 100 percent because it's time. This, this racism in this country is a problem I thought we took care of when I was a teenager, but obviously 
I have been gravely mistaken about that, and, and, and it's time for it to finally be eliminated from, from America, from the world. Because it's not just an American problem. By the way, if you like soccer, you know that for a fact. All right, enough of that. Thank you again for listening. My name is Tom. This is the TomCast Podcast. Ciao, babes. I'm just not the the hero type, clearly, with this uh, laundry list of character defects, all the mistakes I made, largely public. Truth is... I am Iron Man. We're not gonna be fucking sunk this year! We're the Stanley Cup champions!